Wildling Press presents How Do I Book? Welcome to How Do I Book by Wildling Press. We like to chat about book writing, book publishing, book marketing, and, of course, book reading. We're trying to help new and experienced authors develop their crafts, widen their perspectives, and learn to get a little wild every once in a while. I'm Christina, and I am here today with a very exciting interview with Cara Badalamenti, author of The Cursed Coven, book one in the Cursed Coven series, pronouns she, her, hers. Kara, happy pub day! Yay, thank you! Kara's book, Cursed Coven, is out today. So if you don't have your copy yet, that's probably makes sense because it just came out today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can order it. In The links are in the show notes, and we're going to talk a lot about it today. Um, Kara, how are you feeling? Very excited. I'm very excited, too. This is our first book to come out in, I think, like over a year because Wildling is sort of new and it takes a long time to make books. So yours <laughs> is really the first the first one that we didn't already have kind of going before the mm-hmm. company started. And yeah, it's just really exciting. It is really exciting. Thank you so much for, you know, giving us your book. We're just so happy to have it. Of course. Also with us today is Jamie Zachariah, author of Lavender Speculation, which releases on October 17th. Um, so look, check back for another uh, perhaps interview episode then. Um, Jamie, how's it going? Hi, thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here. How did y'all's friendship begin? Because the reason I invited you both on is I was like, you know, a one-on-one interview, totally cool, totally fun. But three, I found is like a great number for a podcast, um, you know, kind of like organic conversation. I was like, let's just do them both because y'all are friends. How did that begin? I don't know, Jamie. Was it that we connected on Twitter or Instagram or something when we found out we were both? It was TikTok. Okay, pubbing (laughs) through. There you go. I don't even, we're connected on all the things now, so I don't remember. (laughs) But uh, I think, yeah, we both realized we were pubbing through Wildling just organically. It, I think, came up on our For You pages. And we connected that way. And then one thing led to another. And then we were just talking all the time. And it's been great. Well, actually, I don't know if you know this, but it was your post talking about Wildling that led me to discover the Wildling to begin with and then submit. And then once I got accepted, I reached out to you and I was like, oh, my God. So thank you. I I didn't know that. That's so exciting. Yeah. I have you to thank for this connection. Wonderful. Well, there you go. Learn something new every day. And we have you to thank as well, Kara. (laughs) Hey, that's what I'm here for. Yes, we're so excited for y'all's books. They're similar in certain ways. They're dissimilar in a lot of ways. They're two totally different things, but they both have purple colors and spooky vibes. And that that is enough to hold two books together, especially through the fall season and when the authors are already friends. Um, so I'm, I'm just so excited that y'all are excited about each other's books. And so y'all have read each other's books, I'm sure, right? One of mm-hmm. you yes. endorsed, I forget who endorsed who, but. I think we both endorsed each other's. Maybe, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. We read pretty early iterations of each other's work too, which was nice. Yeah. Let me just, I'm, 
I have lavender speculation here. Let me just grab my copy of Cursed Coven real fast for reference. Jamie, that's so cool. I literally had no idea. I thought that we were both just like connecting on the opposite side of it instead of like on the front side of it, which is cool. Yeah, I I think I reached out to you once they got back to me and I was like, hey, I'm also yeah. a WP girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Okay, so for Cursed, you did endorse each other's books. Um, For Cursed Coven... Jamie said, a refreshingly adult take on the magical dark academia genre. Cursed Coven grips its readers from the first page and doesn't let go. Oh, oh my God. I love that so much. It's true, though. It is really true. I I mean, the first page is like, well, okay, let's get into a little bit. So, well, Jamie, why don't you start authors? I'm sure you're starting to learn this are constantly asked to describe their own books. And it, it can just get a bit fatiguing, especially because of that dichotomy of like, learn about my book, but I don't want to brag, you know? So I was wondering, Jamie, if you would mind giving like a no spoilers synopsis of Kara's book. So she doesn't have to this one time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Kara's book, Cursed Coven, is a really fun paranormal romance is one way to put it, but it's so many more than that. It's fantasy, it's witchy, it's modern, it's found family, which is probably my favorite aspect of the book. And it's just a bunch of characters who are trying to find themselves and their past and to come across each other in very interesting ways. I'm trying to be as non-spoilery as possible. I know, it's so hard. (laughs) It is really hard. I mean, we start dropping truth bombs 30 early on. It's 30 the first plot twist is 30% of the way into the book and it makes it really hard to mark it. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, one saving grace is that the whole time are that our our male protagonist, um Leaf, like for the first third of the book he's lying and saying his name is Michael. But luckily we we know that cuz we get Leaf's perspective as well. It's dual point of view between um I think our main protagonist Octavia and then our like B protagonist Leaf because girls support girls and she just you know has a bit more character hmm. development yeah yeah like a bit more character development Mm -hmm. like she's she's the one who has a real drive at the beginning of the book Leaf Mm -hmm. kind of has to discover it throughout the book yes but Octavia starts and ends the book you know as it should be um so yeah the Curse Coven starts with a prologue of, you know, the thing, the thing that <laughs> happened, uh, you know, eight, 18 years ago or however long it was. And it's this great tragedy that strikes Octavia and her family and her friends, really. Um, it's their coven. So the boundaries between friends and family in this book are not, they don't exist, basically. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, Octavia's coven have lost family in this prologue. But they stick together. It's like it, they, whether they're related or not, I feel like it's like comparable all around. Like they, they sh- there's two grandparents. They're not together. They but they live together mm-hmm. and they all the kids like share these two grandparents. I love them mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. A lot of my inspiration for that really messy dynamic between friends and family and boundaries that kind of continually are crossed over and over and over again was actually from New Girl, the TV show. Because that's so funny. I've never seen that. Yeah, because I felt like when I was watching New Girl, I was in college and I was around my friends and I had a lot of like codependent relationships with like friends in college. And then I joined a sorority and with sororities, you know, you're your sisters or whatever. And that like it was just it was a very 
um, interesting time to watch New Girl and have my own personal relationships get like a little, you know, too interpersonal. And I, when I was thinking about like how to create this dynamic for this book, I was like, I really, really liked how messy those friendship lines were in New Girl. How fun would that Mm -hmm. be if it was New Girl vibes, like found family vibes, but also everyone was magically inclined. Yeah, like a totally different kind of energy. Mm Mm-hmm. So is that where the idea for this story came from or, or were you like percolating yeah. on it? From, no, so you yeah. watch New Girl and you're like, I have an idea. <laughs> so no, it, actually it was like, this is like, I hate saying this because it makes me like think too much like of Stephanie Meyer's Twilight story, but it literally <laughs> came from a dream. But I had a dream about like a bunch of witches like living together in a loft in Boston because I lived in Boston for almost three years. So Boston is cool. a setting of a lot of my daydreams because yeah, I loved okay. living there. Like the dream didn't really have like a plot. It was just like kind of like a background or a setting. And then I, you know, woke up and at that point I was kind of like playing around with the idea of actually writing a book. And I was like, you know, what would make that setting really cool and dynamic is if, you know, they were magical. One of them lost their magic. And then also they had to interact with their mortal enemy to fight against a common, common bad guy. And I just thought that that added all the different like quirky dynamics that I was looking for uh, that added a lot of tension and a lot of uncomfy moments, which is what I was going for. This is blowing my mind. And I don't know if y'all know this, but the two books that Wildling has published so far are both in the Blameless series the, uh, mm-hmm. by E.S. Christensen. The first one's called The Blameless. The se- sequel is called The Tarnished. And she also had a dream that inspired her book. This is so wild to me. Yeah, I think... When you're sleeping, you're, the creative side of your brain just runs wild. And I mean, honestly, again, it was just like a little nugget. And I obviously had to build around the nugget. But it, I think that's a really valid way to get your most creative thoughts out is sometimes yeah. in dreams. Well, and E.S. Christensen definitely also only started with a nugget. Because if you read her book, it's like the first chapter is the, pr- the main character, Brie, princess, running away from some danger in the castle. There's a, a like a, not a mutiny. It's not a boat. What's. What's it called? Oh, what is that word? A coup, coup, yes. There's a coup. I'm like, my brain is in pirate mode. It's just mutiny. (laughs) Our flag means death is coming back this fall, so it's on my brain. (laughs) And so she's like running. And so um, E.S. Christensen, her whole dream was just this girl running. And then she woke up and was like so worried about this little girl and was like, what's going to happen to her? I guess I have to write a three to four book series. (laughs) (laughs) To explain why. To resolve it. (laughs) Jamie, did you have a dream? I have to know now. Did you have, well, you got short stories. That's a lot of dreams. Yeah, I have had some dreams that have inspired stories. That's definitely true. Okay. My inspiration comes from all over the place, though. And like I said, like you said, I have short stories. So each one has its own background. Yeah, we could be here all day, which I won't bore you with. But yes, I definitely have been inspired by dreams. Awesome. Yeah, learn more about that in three weeks when uh, Jamie's pub day episode comes out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's really cool. I've never had a dream inspire a book, but maybe I'll... To me, it's like I work out all of my book problems when I'm driving, and it's like your your brain gets so bored, you know, and I'm just like, okay, well, I guess I'll just figure out this plot hole while I'm sitting here on 64. Yeah. Well, I will say, too, um, I've had a lot of scenes, including specific scenes in Curse Coven, be completely inspired from songs and, like, song lyrics, Mm. And so that Mm -hmm. has always kind of been like, if I'm like stuck outlining and I can't figure out like what I want my characters to do next, I'll literally step away from the keyboard and just listen to music for like a full 24 hours until I find a song 
that fits a potential next scene, and then it just that's, goes from there. That's a yeah. great strategy. I might have to steal that. It works so well for me. So, Kara, how long did it take you to draft this book? <laughs> Not nearly as long as any of my other books so far. Um, no, so that was the very first book that I've written since I used to write books and fan fiction in high school and like very early college. And so it had been, you know, like a six or seven year break since I had done it. And once I dipped my toe back in, like once I had this story idea kind of like plotted out, then I became super obsessed and was hyper fixated to honestly a concerning degree. Like I had have and had at that time a full time job. And when I was writing this, it was also during COVID. So I think that maybe helped me get it done a little bit faster, too. Sure. I really so didn't many have, fewer distractions. Yeah, I didn't have anything better to do. Um, but I when I, I worked at a, work at a children's hospital. And so even during COVID, I was going in. So I would spend, you know, like eight or nine hours a day at the hospital. And then I'd come home and like write for four or five hours at night. And I was like sleep deprived for a whole two months. It took me two months to write it. Your husband was like, I'll see you someday. I, I know. Oh, my gosh. He was so supportive, though. I'm really honestly surprised with him. But on the weekends, too, you know, like we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't hang out with family or friends. And he would bring me all my meals up here. Here is where I, I work and write. Oh, my God. That is a supportive man. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And so he would, like, bring me breakfast. And then, like, an hour later, he'd come get my tray of food. And then he'd, like, bring me <laughs> lunch and then come get my tray of food. And sometimes he'd come up here and he'd sit on the bed and he'd be like tell me about what you're writing and oh he's just the best yep okay so when this episode comes out i'm just gonna casually play it in front of my husband and see if he picks up any tricks yeah <laughs> i'm telling you it's great I, yeah it, but i will say every other book that i've written since then has been a much slower progression to like start to finish like i don't one have the lifestyle of like the lockdown stay at home scenario sure. to be able to support that anymore but also it burned me out really fast because then I had to take a couple months away before I could even like try to figure out what self-editing was again. But with the other books that I've written since, it's it's been a much healthier, like I would say like four to five months start to finish to just do the rough draft, the first draft, and then even longer to do self-revisions. So, and yeah. that's, my, that's my healthy sweet spot. I'm, I'm like happy if it takes me six months to finish a book. Like yeah, I'm writing. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm drafting book three of Curse Coven right now and I anticipate, I'm like, almost halfway done of just drafting. So I anticipate I'll have it done by the end of the year. And that would have taken me like six or seven months from start to finish. It is the one, like it's the best worst position to be in. I think an editor of a series, because it's like, don't tell me anything, but wait, we actually have to talk about the series arc, but wait, yeah. Okay. Take, take your time, but I actually need the sequel. right. Now. Take your time. I, did, yeah. I need it to be final, but wait, we'll work on it. Like, it's, uh -huh. <laughs> it's like the dichotomy. Yeah, I'll just tell you, this book three is proving very, very difficult to draft because I'm trying to, like, tie up loose ends that I started, obviously, in book one. But also there's a lot of information that we learn that we guess at the first two books. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard um, in a good way and like an intellectually stimulating way to try and figure out ways to communicate information without info dumping. So like that's what I've been doing right now is yeah. really going through each single like chunk of dialogue and making sure that it like truly gets to the point and that it's not it, it's the most concise it can be because I don't want it to sound rambly and all that. But it's a lot of information communicated via dialogue. So you just got to 
put them in interesting, uncomfortable scenarios to make yeah. the reader engaged. <laughs> I'm so glad that that's a priority for you is like avoiding the info dump because that's probably one of the main things that as like an editor, it's like, we got to get this. We can do this more elegantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I can't wait to read the next two books. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> Are you a pantser or a plotter? Oh, 100% a plotter. Um, plotter. So, for those yeah. who don't know, pantser. Flies by the seat of their pants when they write, don't know where they're going. We'll find out. Plotter, obviously, plots it out beforehand. Or for me, I kind of like get like Mm -hmm. a chapter or two and then I'm like, all right, let's figure this out before I go any further. Yeah, I think for me, um, especially since I like walked into this book knowing that I wanted it to be a series, I plotted all three books like from the very beginning, like before I even started writing book one. And that just like was very helpful but I think where I allow myself to get creative and go wild is in the in the actual scene, chapter to chapter. So, mm-hmm. like, I might have a general idea of what I want to occur for, like, a character's arc or, like, plot development or vibes. Like, I know, like, the type of meat and potatoes that I want out of a chapter, but I don't plot that specifically unless it's, like, a really important plot point where I'm like, this has to happen, this character has to do X, Y, or Z. And I let, again, like, kind of the music inspire, because I always listen to music when I write. I cannot have it silent. And it, whether it's instrumental or I can even listen to, like, lyrics or whatnot. So I'll, mm-hmm. like, sit down. I'll read my outline. I'll know, like, generally what needs to happen in this chapter. And then I just let the music flow. I find the right song that feels right. And then I let my creative juices flow. And that's where I allow myself to pants a little bit. But overall, like, chapter to chapter, I know what, what is supposed to happen during that chapter. And, like, how I get there is up to me in the moment. Yeah. I love that. A little column A, a lot of column B. Do y'all ever like put on a song and then in your head you pretend it's like like a trailer for like the movie of your book and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah this is going to look so cool maybe someday if it ever gets a film adaptation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, are you more of a pantser or a plotter? It's a little different with you because of the short stories. You don't have like mm-hmm. a whole like three series arc going on or three book series arc. Yeah, my stories are so short. Like they're short stories, but some of them are short enough to even be considered like flash or microfiction. So it's so different. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. You got some, you got some that are like a page and then you got, <laughs> you got, I think you're the last book. Uh, the last story in the book is like 25 pages. Or something, mm-hmm. but that that yeah. one's really long. I think I'm a plotter. Cool. I kind of think you probably, I I've never written flash fiction. Like even back in my Wattpad days, I was like writing, you know, like, hundred thousand word stories but I really think that you have a skill that I honestly couldn't dream of like that's like your skill is like a flash fiction writer or a short story novelist is like my goal like I'd love to be able to do as much as what you do with fewer words and make it feel just as impactful as like having had read an entire three-act story so Mm -hmm. I am really really jealous of your hardcore skill and talent because I feel like it's easier in a way to like to fill more space than it is to fill less space and get the same emotionality out of it. So anyways, I I loved reading your work. I was like amazingly jealous of you when I was done reading it. I was like, gosh, darn, she's good. (laughs) That is so kind. Thank you. And I actually, I admire your ability to talk about the same characters in the same situation and make it continuously more interesting. I have such struggle in myself to lengthen things and not make it sound repetitive but you're able to make someone 
see more of a character, their development, the plot, and it just kind of, you want to keep reading. And that's something I really admire about your work. Oh, thank you. We I'm love each other. Yes. <laughs> this is why I brought both of you on. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, both of you, I want to know, who is your favorite character in the Cursed Coven? Not uh, Next question is the character you identify most with. So not necessarily who, but who is your favorite character? What if it's the same? Well, that's okay. Because I like June. Oh, June. I love yeah. June. Uh, just wait. You're going to love her even more in book yes. two, Jamie. I think you're really, really going to enjoy um, June in book two. So June is Octavia's lifelong friend and coven mate, and she specializes in potions. And mm-hmm. she's very nice, and she's always just kind of like vibing with her potions, being a kind person. <laughs> She really is. She's Whenever like, they need to be friendly, Octavia's like, send June. I, don't, I got nothing. <laughs> she's the mediator for sure. Like, she is definitely that that mediator um, She's the role. one that you, like, don't... Like, Octavia's always worried about, like, disappointing her friends and family. And June is, more than anyone else, the one you, like, don't want to disappoint, you know? <laughs> yeah, she's the moral compass for sure. Yeah, that's really, really hard for me. I mean, I think, especially now that I have book two written in under my belt, um, I, I really think I, I have to say Octavia is my favorite just because the plight that she goes through and the like sheer level of sacrifice that she will have had to have made by the end of this series is just really something. And I can't I'm help. So excited. Yeah, I can't help but respect her for just like how far she's willing to go. Like, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, how far would I be willing to go for myself and for the people that I love? And I hope it's like a fraction of as far as how, she, you know, far she ends up going. So, yeah, I, I just mad respect for Tavy, man. She's 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 a bad bee. I love her. Yes. You're allowed to say bitch on this podcast. OK, she's a bad bitch. <laughs> Our rule is PG-13, so you can get in a hell of damn a bitch. But okay. ca- category A swears, maybe not. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so my my favorite character has got to be Sage. I mean, a non-binary, overpowered, like, chaotic human being. <laughs> like, their outfits are incredible. Their dialogue's incredible. I have to tell you, yeah, Sage was one of the... I think Sage was the first character where, like, character design and, like, personality and vibes, like, it was set in stone. Just, like, from the first thought of it. And they were just going to be a superstar from the very get-go. Like, it took me a lot longer to, like, design the character, like, the two main characters, the love interest and Octavia. Whereas, like, Sage was just, like, came to me so easy. And I was like, they're going to be great. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it so much. So Sage is the descendant of, like, a kind of notoriously powerful family of elemental uh, I almost said magicians, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, magic users. Um, and so they do elemental magic, which I, we definitely haven't really explored all that they can do. But we get some cool like water, some cool fire action. I'm excited to kind of explore their talents a little bit more. And I noticed that we all three picked characters from the coven rather than from the witch hunters. Um, I think partially because the witch hunters obviously start out, you know, they're, they're enemies. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, maybe don't murder our beloved characters. Um, but then they also, the witch hunter group has just so much more. I mean, their whole 
world gets rocked and destroyed throughout the series of this book. So they don't get as much time to just be themselves. They're like mm-hmm. going through it. So I hope that in the next two books, we get to see more of them not going through trauma, maybe different kinds of trauma, being able to be themselves a little bit more. I will say, um, you said, you know, like, who's your favorite character? But then I think you were going to ask next, like, who do you identify with most? Yeah, for me, that's super, super easy, Delta. Delta has... (laughs) um, The bitch. (laughs) Yeah, Delta has some trauma that, like, I can identify very significantly with. So, like, writing her was a little bit easy, too. Only I had her react to the trauma in a 180 different way than I did growing up, which was honestly, like, really, really fun. Um, yeah. to explore like what that could have been like if and I had let myself for you. Re- yeah like if I had let myself respond the way that I kind of always wanted to but like never felt like comfortable doing so um, so yeah I identify with Delta a lot and I really um, even though she's a very dislikable and hard to swallow character I actually like her so much because her character arc throughout the entire series so fun like it blows my mind like I am like writing her and especially in book two writing her has been such a joy so I'm yeah I love her to bits and uh, identify with her a lot you get to answer with the whole series in mind but Jamie and I are just like going off book one so we we have a lot less to work with I I really thought you know that I was going to get a lot of like negative reviews on that character because when you write a truly unlikable character there you're gonna get like a lot of mixed reviews from readers but I'm really pleasantly surprised to say that I have had like three early readers like reach out to me and tell me how much they love Delta and I was like wow I was not expecting this to like hit home they were like yeah Yeah. she was like so mysterious until you like find out the reason why she is why she is and that really rang true for me too and I was like oh my gosh okay well I guess it's not just me that's great yeah so Delta is Leaf's you know adoptive sister and you know, she comes from trauma just like the rest of them. And she also is raised in this adoptive family with th- four dudes. Mm-hmm. Like she has three brothers and a dad. And it's like, yeah, she's a bitch because how else could she possibly have made it through her upbringing? <laughs> so I love that for you, Jamie. Oh, you said June is the character you also yeah. identify most. So I, I totally see that. I do want to shout out to Leaf, though, because... I like how you wrote Leaf. I think a lot of times I find the way that um, like cis straight men are written unrelatable or one dimensional. Um, but your book doesn't do that. And especially not with Leaf. So I really enjoyed yeah. his character development and the way he interacts with the others, especially Octavia. I don't want to give anything away, but turn in some tropes on their head there. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited to see his character development as the series continues. Thank you. Yeah. And I was really anxious, honestly, about making it dual POV. But um, because of that reason, um, writing a so it adds so much depth. Yeah. Like, well, I think that's that's the preferred way that I like to read romanticy, you know, fantasy Mm -hmm. romance. But um, I was really nervous about doing individuals who identify as male a disservice because I have not lived through that identity. I don't really know what it's like, but I felt like if I was going to give it a stab, I wanted to make the character as dynamic and well-rounded and full of emotions as the next person and try to really 
attack it from like a human being perspective. And so I am glad to hear that that hit home because I really like belabored over that. And another thing that's hard too is when you're writing kind of like that enemies to lovers. Um, My hang up when being a reader has always been, you know, like when that love interest is a little too unredeemable, you know? And so like walking Mm -hmm. that line of somebody who is in more of like an enemy role in his planning or has done really kind of negative or, you know, undesirable things in their life, how can they be the point of desire then moving forward? Um, So writing a good guy or a good person into an enemy's role has always been something that I think I'll always struggle with, even though it's one of my favorite tropes. Um, But I hope that with Christina's help, because that was something I needed help with uh, Christina on was making sure that he was a good enough guy to for for the romance to make sense at the end of the day. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, because he kind of, he uh, you know, their their re- relationship goes through its own arc and I think that you know, having every step of that arc be clear to the readers really helps keep his character redeemable. Mm-hmm. And I want to remind you Kara that you were talking about being worried about the male point of view. So when Wild Wilding receives, you know, a couple hundred submissions a year, and I don't read a couple hundred books a year, we send them around. Um, we split them up among the staff. And actually, Michael, the only dude on our team, is the one who I sent Cursed Coven to. And he is also gay. So it's, it's like he's a dude and he's not straight. So it's like, you know, maybe this isn't written like for him, but he's the one who was like, this is really something. We need this. So it spoke to mm-hmm. him anyway. That makes me happy. So yeah. glad to hear that. I will say too, I've had a couple um, early readers who identify as male, and so far, you know, like really good feedback from them too. So that that I was also it. very, very gratifying, very validating. So yeah, I personally identify most with Leaf. Honestly, like I'm the I'm the oldest kid. Am I in charge because I like it or because I just always am in charge and I'm just good at it by now? Having to make hard decisions and walk people you love through hard times. And also the way that magic ultimately manifests for everyone in this story. Um, I related to that as well. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> it's like the most vague language. <laughs> it's there is really magic hard. in this book and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> What was the hardest scene in this book to write? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it was the ending. Um, and I think that that mm, finale scene is, is multiple chapters. And I think the reason why is, again, with the info dumping, you want to try and make the big reveal really interesting, really engaging. You want every, and it's a big scene. All the big players, all the main characters are present in that scene. And to make every single character feel present and there in the moment and to have like a purpose in the scene instead of just being like a fly on the wall, that was a big struggle. And I think during the editing phase, you and I worked really, really hard on that ending to like really make it as like fast paced and concise as possible. So that way the reader will keep wanting to turn the page. Yeah, and you that, want them to not be able to put it down for the last 50 pages. Exactly. And I think your book totally has that. Thank you. Thank you. But not without your your intervention and your help, because that, that was something that I think the very first iteration of the rough draft really, really struggled with because I just didn't have those skills yet. But now um, book two, and I keep wanting to plug it so that way people get excited to <laughs> you know keep reading the series. But in book two, the cast gets larger and we have other covens coming to be you know engaged in the plot. And 
that problem has only since grown, you know, because now I have a bigger cast, not infinitely bigger or like exponentially, but it's, it's like five more new characters and that making them all feel like they had purpose in group conversations. And then they were all just like, those things couldn't happen without them. That even just during the drafting was a struggle. But I think with what I've learned from book one, I think I've uh, done a yeah. better job implementing that in the draft. You'll have to let me know. <laughs> yeah, because there were a couple scenes in the first draft, first book, where it was like these characters are just sitting here. Let's yep. let's let them go get a coffee or something instead. Yeah. <laughs> yep. When do I get to read the second book? I know. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's drafted. I mean, hey, I would take your critique partner thoughts um, at any point in time. So yeah, I can email it to you. Yes. I just can't wait to read it. So, Carol, when we first started working together, you told me that you intentionally plotted this series such that your first book was a little bit more straightforward, a little bit, I don't want to say simpler, because, God, it is not simple, but just, you know, a little more it, straightforward. It is, though. Yeah. A no, I simpler. Would, I would argue that it is simpler. Because you said you wanted the opportunity to develop your skills mm-hmm. before moving on to mm-hmm. these more, much more complex sequels. What do you feel like you've picked up and what do you feel like you're taking with you into these next two books? Yeah, um, I think that I have what I hope to have mastered a little bit better um, is the ability to foreshadow and tease characters intentions that may actually be like opposing their actions and or their dialogue Mm -hmm. in a way such that when you reach the reveal you go oh 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 this has been leading up to this the whole time like if you think about like game of thrones kind of like the daenerys targaryen has her you know like fall from you know mental wellness and you know her her whole arc kind of makes sense after the fact like that's been my whole goal with um the arc of book two i i wanted to kind of slip things in that make the char- all the characters' actions make sense by the finale, by, like, the end scene. Yeah. And my goal is that the reader will read it, throw the book across the room, an hour later come back, pick the book up, and look for all the clues. You know what I mean? <laughs> or just start at the beginning again. <laughs> yeah, and just go, wait, hold on. I feel like I was missing something that I didn't realize I was missing. And I, I think the the plot twists that I write in book one are a lot more like kind of in your face. And mm-hmm. I think yeah. doing that was really, really helpful for book one, but I think it helped me build skill to be able to be a lot more subtle and hopefully in book two have plot twists that nobody really sees coming, yeah. but then they're able to look back and be like, oh, I perhaps, you know, could have had seen that coming if I had been looking a little bit harder. So that's my goal, at least. We'll see if it pans out. That makes sense for readers, too, because if you're just dipping your toes into a series, you don't want to have to you you kind of want it to be a little easier to digest so that you can get invested in the characters before you enter the the further complexity of the sequel. Right. And I think with book two, too, I wanted character motivations to be a little bit more muddy and I wanted there to be a lot more internal strife and conflict. So the tentative Mm -hmm. title for book two is called Cursed Conscience. And I chose that really, really um, 
purposefully because majority of the conflict is internal in book two for a lot of the characters, not just the two POV characters, but in book one, a lot of the conflict is external. There's, there's still internal conflict, but it's just so, it's not so much in your face. Whereas book two. It's about the coven kind of figuring out who they are and what they're doing. Yeah. Book two really changes um, perspectives in that sense in that, you know, they're all together. They're all learning. They're all becoming that like, really strong knit found family but they're still struggling and it's perhaps even harder than before i will say though the finale there's a big external bad so like there's definitely both but it's just the vast majority of the book is a lot of internal conflict awesome what's the main message that you hope readers take away from cursed coven the first book Ooh, that's a good question i think for for me the take-home is always going to be you have to find ways to love yourself as you are because if you're constantly fighting against developing some kind of level of respect and adoration for yourself you're mm-hmm. going to end up in a situation that maybe perhaps isn't what you wanted at the beginning like you're going to end up a little bit worse off um i think everything in life can be tackled a little bit better if you have respect for yourself and you can own up to who you are, where you are in that moment, and just accept yourself. So I think for me. I love that. Awesome. Anything to add, Jamie? Yeah. Well, that was perfect. But I would also add (laughs) not to be afraid of change because change can be scary, but it's inevitable. And Mm -hmm. when you have a support system around you, you know, don't just, you should sometimes embrace it, even though it's scary. Yeah. For me, there's also a bit of like, you're in charge of your story that's what I always tell people like I'm a very confident person and whenever people are like how are you so confident I'm like I just I decided to be you know like Mm -hmm. you get to decide what kind of person you're going to be and what kind of life you're going to live and I think that a lot of this is kind of all of the characters coming to terms with the fact that they can change it and kind of tying back into what you said Jamie that they're in control and they can make changes if Mm -hmm. they see fit yeah love that too To wrap up the episode, let's do a little bit of like a wild round of random questions that don't have anything to do with Cursed Coven. Um, But I want to know, both of you, um, just first thing that pops into your head, what's your favorite color? Purple. No surprise there. Pink. (laughs) Pink. Okay. Uh, That makes perfect sense because, Kara, first of all, not only is your book purple, but your main character's bedroom is completely purple. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I try, tried really hard to write Octavia in a way that was dissimilar to me, just purely for entertainment on my end. I didn't yeah. want to write somebody that was exactly like me. I didn't find that stimulating at the time. But I will say the one self-insert thing that I did write was my purple bedroom growing up. Like I describe it exactly how it was when I was growing up. Purple wallpaper, purple curtains, purple bed sheets. The only thing that wasn't purple was the carpet. And um, I don't know why, but it just felt right for Octavia. I was like, <laughs> this she is hates the- it too. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. And I grew to hate it too. So yeah, I was like, this is like the thing that feels right to give her from my life. I love that. I also had a else. purple bedroom as a child, purple walls, purple comforter. I had like flowers painted on the wall. So relatable. Yeah. Um, and Jamie, you have off and on had pink hair. So that tracks, right? The pink, yes. you got your pink glasses. So those are probably my two favorite colors too. So yay. <laughs> Do y'all reread books ever or are you a one and done? 
I do reread, but I'll tell you, especially since I hopped on the audiobook game, like in like 2019, I prefer to read a physical copy or a digital copy first. And then when I reread, I listen to the audiobook. So yeah, I've been exploring that too. Like recently, I've been re going through all of Austin's books, which are mm. Take a lot of mental, as much as I love them, take a lot of mental energy to read with your eyes. Right, but if right. you read them with your ears, that's just kind of like an old British lady telling you a funny story. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Jamie? I would say generally I don't, but there are a few favorites that I do reread. Um, classics that I love: Haunting of Hill House, Dracula, oh, Little yeah. Women, like my comfort books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But other than that, I I don't reread. No. That's totally cool. When I read a book, I'm like, am I, do I want to read this again? If not, I just get rid of it. I give it to a friend who I think would like it. I put it in a little free library. And then the books that I have decided to hold on to, I try to read them at least once every five to 10 years to make sure, <laughs> you know, to be like, do I still feel the same way? Right. And a lot of the time I do, sometimes I don't. And I'm like, okay, well, 15 year old Christina, I'm glad you liked this. We, we don't need to hang on to it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Do y'all have a book that you have read that you think no one should ever, ever read? Maybe like a classic or a very, maybe, maybe not like a cute little indie author, but a very powerful author or someone historical, perhaps. Do you mean no one should read because it's not good? Because it's terrible or... Okay, I'll, I'll go first. My book that no one should ever lay eyes on is Lolita by Nabokov. That book is horrid. It's horrific. I read it because I had to understand, and I will tell you, I don't. It's horrible. Burn it. Burn every copy. Horrible. I think personally, a book that I will never, or an author, I will never allow myself to pick up again, um, just because the con- it just wasn't written for me. The content just wasn't for me. And coming from the Midwest, it was just even more of a struggle. But Mark Twain just isn't my jam. Uh- But if I was going to go more global and say, like, I would actively tell people you can skip this one, like you don't need to read this particular like classic, I would Mm -hmm. say Crime and Punishment. Like I I ended up reading it in an AP English class and it was just that was like I've never read a book before where I've actually wanted to like stick pins in my eyes just because (laughs) it was so unfun. Um, But that that was the one. So if I would advise people, I'd be like, you can skip that one. Skip it's, it's just annoying because there are a lot of classics out there that are extremely wonderful. And it just seems like high schools never pick those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie? It's so hard because I'm a big believer in everybody having different tastes. Like, personally, yes. I do not like Steinbeck's books. I, can't, mm-hmm. I cannot jive with those. Mm-hmm. But I know that they speak to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Wuthering Heights. I know people love that book. I think Ooh, that it's one's terrible. <laughs> I think the characters are just the worst. A book um, where every character is deeply hateable is it's really hard. Who are we rooting for? I hope you all all die. Like, I hope you all <laughs> fail. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in general, I would say and it's not a book, but a trope, if you'll allow me. Okay. I hate when um, abuse of specifically of women is written in for no other reason than because the author does not know how to make a woman relatable. And Uh, there are stories about abuse that are stories that need to be told. But there Mm -hmm. are so many times where I've read a book where it's just shoehorned in for no reason. And it feels really disingenuous. It feels really misogynistic. And I... Mm -hmm. If, the, if I read something like that, I will not read anything else by that author. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like written for the spectacle of it. It's like right. it's not it's not written to say anything new. And I I feel like a lot of male writers would have trouble even even trying to say anything about a scene like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good answer, Kara. I know you love anime. I don't know about you, Jamie. What's your favorite anime? <sighs> This is a really hard question. So a lot of like uh, my story writing education came from anime or has continues to come from anime. I think that mangakas and manhwa writers are just some of the best storytellers out there. Um, So if we're talking about like and I I straight up have this list like on my iPhone, but I feel like there's so much nuance to it. Um, The greatest like story in anime that I have identified with the most and have felt the most emotions from is Naruto. So it's like the entire Whoa. Naruto franchise. Um, okay. That's a big one. Like I, you know, that's from when we were young. Yeah. But um, the more recent, um, based on like some of my favorite character arcs that I have ever had the pleasure of reading and watching, it's going to be My Hero Academia, the rivals to friendships. And if if you're a fan fiction shipper like I am, to lovers, but it's not canon. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the, the rivals to friends arc in My Hero Academia is the best I've ever seen. Like if I my goal one day is to be able to write like an enemies or rivals to lovers arc that is a fraction as good as that one. And then um, one that's recent and actually a, a character that was my like character design model inspiration for Leaf is Jujutsu Kaisen. So that's one that's like airing right now, week to week. Um, their new season is out, and it has my whole attention. Like I am super obsessed with Jujutsu Kaisen right now, um, but also because I love Gojo, because Gojo is the blueprint for Leaf. So awesome! Okay, those are some really excellent recs. Jamie, do you like anime? I don't think I've really watched a lot of anime. That's okay. I designed this question for Kara. Yeah, I do like Sailor Moon. I'm I'm one of those astrology oh, astrology Sailor Moon girls. Is epic. So yeah, yes. um, yeah. I would like to get into more. I I haven't read that much like manga either, but I do love Junji Ito because awesome. he's like a master of horror. So mm-hmm. yeah. if if there were shows that were reflective of what he work he does um, with his writing and his illustrations, I would absolutely check those out. So. Yeah, there are some new ones out right now, Jamie, that they're considered kind of like the dark trio is what they're called in the anime community. But they um, have a lot of really good um, either just generalized horror or, you know, like gore body horror type stuff. Um, They are written in a much more modern and tasteful way with female characters that are actually well written instead of just being caricatures. Um, and so I'll send you those uh, the list of those three because I think they if you were going to dip your toes, they would probably be uh, closer to your interests and also less problematic. Because I will say, a, a, unfortunately, a lot of manga and a lot of anime of the past is pretty problematic. Yeah, it's kind of like reading classics. It's like you kind of just have to go in knowing that it's part of this yeah. thing. And either you see past it or you don't. Like, I'm always like, Agatha Christie's great if you can get over the occasional peppering of racism. Mm. Okay, do you use GPS to drive around your town and other places you're familiar with, or do you go from memory? No, I'm horrible with directions. I don't even, I mean, this sounds really embarrassing because I have a a master's and a science degree, and I've now (laughs) written a book, but I straight up still don't really know my left or my right. Like, I struggle with it all the time. Me too. Oh my God. Like, I'll, I, I just can't. I, I, if, especially if I'm navigating for my husband when he's driving, I just point. Like, I'm going to get it wrong. Yep. If I say it out loud, east and west, I have the same trouble. Yep. When I was no. in high school, 
I wore Converse every day because 2007. And I had L and R written on my shoes. <laughs> Honestly, that's such a smart idea. I'm like 30, though. And I'm like, I can't still be having that on my shoes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really struggle with it. My my husband and I are both very directionally challenged. So people hate driving with us. <laughs> okay, but so yes, I, I use important. GPS all the time for everything. Yeah. Jamie, use yeah, GPS. Same. Yeah, okay. I'm terrible with direct. <laughs> I'll get lost coming out of a store in the mall. Like, I oh, won't know God. if I went are really right confusing. or left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do y'all have any other witchy YA urban fantasy books, kind of like Cursed Coven, that you would recommend? Yeah, I have some on my TBR right now. Um, let me remind myself of the, of the um, title of this one. One is The Nature of Witches by Rachel Griffin. Very, very beautiful book. I felt deeply seen by that it's book. It's funny that you just said that because the book that I'm about to plug that is on my TBR, um, I got it as a verbal recommendation from my local indie bookstore. I am really close with the booksellers there and they know what I like. And so they recommended this. It's also by Rachel Griffin. It's her most oh, recent release. It's called Bring Me Your Midnight. And um, it is a gorgeous hardback uh, version of the book. And so I have that on my nightstand right now. It's probably going to be one of the ones that I read next. Awesome, Rachel Griffin. Another one, it's speaking of manga. I read this manga, it was like 10 or 12 in the series maybe, called Bizengost by uh, M. Alice Legro. And it has like dark academia vibes. It's about this town that's kind of like, there's like a big mansion nearby that's like deeply haunted by ghosts. And the main character main character gets wrapped up in trying to like help all those ghosts move on. So that they stop haunting her town. Nice. It's really fun. It has a lot of like really fun outfits, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, um, each of the different ghosts is really interesting and fun. So I, I like. I definitely recommend that one. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. I actually love like haunted stories. Hell yeah! Some of my faves. The last one I'll recommend is a Akata Witch by Nanetti Okorafor, which is set. I'm so sorry, I forget where. Set somewhere in Africa, and so it's like a totally different sort of magic system than we're used to seeing in fantasy, um, which was really, really cool. They talk about like juju and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, and it is also like contemporary. And so it just, um, it's for a bit of a younger audience, but I think it's still YA. Um, but that one was really fun as well. Sweet. You guys know I like my stuff dark and spooky. And I, yes. <laughs> I, I really like the colonial uh, New England witchy stuff. So like the year of the witching um, mm. or Slewfoot. Those are probably some of my favorites. Mm. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. So all of those books will be linked in our show notes um, as well as pretty much anything else that we've recommended today. The last question on my list is what's next for Chris Kevin, but we've mentioned the sequel only like 1 million times this episode. Sorry. So I, think, I think people <laughs> are aware. Definitely get the book today. You can get it. It's linked in the show notes. You can get it from anywhere you buy books online. Follow Kara so that you can stay abreast of the updates of uh, regarding the series and um, stay tuned for more about Jamie and Lavender Speculation coming out in a couple of weeks. We'll have an episode about that as well. And you can pre-order her book today as well. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. And thank you, Kara, for writing this wonderful book that we get to celebrate today on its birthday. Of course. Thank you for, um, you know, having me. And thanks for taking a chance. Popping me. And that's how you book. <laughs>
This episode was edited by me, Christina Kahn. Our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. Our theme music was produced by Jason Hilton. Please check out the show notes for a link to the accompanying blog post and visit us online at Wildling Press on social media or at wildlingpress.com.